The views expressed in this program are those of the host and not necessarily those of WVUD or the University of Delaware. WVUD and UD Information Technologies present Campus Voices, conversations with University of Delaware faculty, staff, and students about their teaching, research, service projects, and other interests. To introduce today's guest, here's your host, Richard Gordon, manager of the IT Communication Group at the University of Delaware. Thank you, Jason. And joining me today on Campus Voices is the Dean of the College of Engineering, Babatunde Okanaiki. And thank you so much for joining me, Tundi. Oh, Try it again now. It just works better with the microphone on. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, UD's College of Engineering includes a lot of disciplines. I think you're up to seven departments now. That's right. Uh, what kinds of things, what, what are the different departments, what kinds of programs are they do- doing, and what's your vision for the college? Uh, we have biomedical engineering, which is a relatively new program. We have chemical engineering that is uh, celebrating its centennial next year. Uh, We have civil and environmental engineering. We have computer science and engineering that just recently joined our college. We have electrical and computer engineering. We have material science and engineering that just celebrated 15 years. And then we have mechanical engineering, one of the original departments in the college. I think, I mean, you told me when we met last week that your vision for the development of engineering is to really get get the students to see that they're really looking to solve problems. They're really trying to be flexible problem solvers. Yeah. Well, engineers are problem solvers. And uh, the problems that we solve are starting to evolve. These, these problems are becoming far more complex than we can solve just on our own. And therefore, we're training our students to be interdisciplinary in their approach. But also, these solutions have to be not just technically feasible. They also have to be economically viable. In addition, they should be societally desirable. And if you look at all of those things, it means that our engineering training has to be augmented with some business, entrepreneurship uh, flavor, but also with the humanities. And so we have to have all three and uh, this is why we're looking at making sure that our curriculum will produce well-rounded engineers. And when we spoke about things like the Apple's iPhone or the VHS Betamax thing, I mean, those are, I mean, those are examples of engineers working together with all three of those things. Here's something that's that's feasible. Yes. But here's something that's business business-wise viable, yeah. and here's something that is desirable by lots of humans. That's exactly correct. And, in fact, the Apple iPhone, I don't know how many people know this, but the the touchscreen technology for the Apple iPhone was developed here at the University of Delaware. And if you read uh, Walt Isaacson's book uh, about Steve Jobs, you will see Delaware mentioned. We're very proud of that. I think it's remarkable that the iPhone, just sort of this brick, or the iPad, or the i. Pod came first. I mean, that, that was really a revolutionary kind of engineering It is. Coup. It is. It is. And, and you get an idea of uh, what engineering really can do to transform society. 
Does that kind of combination of skills apply to something like the electric car? I believe so. I, I, I believe for the electric car to become a reality, uh, we'll have to go beyond just the technical feasibility. I think we, we pretty much have those down now. Now we have to look at the economic viability and also all the other things that go with it to provide the infrastructure to make it work. But I think we'll get there. I've noticed we're starting to have a few charging stations for electric cars on campus. I think there's, what, a couple outside, is it DuPont Hall? Or, or I know it's over there sort of in that alleyway off of um, Academy Street. And yes. In that, in that alleyway, what we actually have is part of this uh, EV2G uh, program that uh, Willard Kempton of Earth, Ocean, and Environment is leading. And so this is one of those cases where instead of the car battery sitting idle, it can be putting electricity to the grid. Ah. And, and so this, this dynamic smart grid uh, concept is also beginning to, uh, to take root. Now, I think this goes to show that, as you said to me last week, engineers create stuff. I mean, it, they are creative people. I mean, it's, you can't just be a one-dimensional person, can you? That's right. Well, engineers create stuff. And uh, we are very good at creating stuff in, in solving problems. Uh, one of the things that we are now trying to add to uh, creating stuff is making sure that we are also good communicators. Uh, it's, it doesn't matter how smart you are. If you can't communicate your ideas to other people, it's not going to work very well. And so, yes, in addition to creating stuff, we also want to understand uh, how to take the entrepreneurial spirit and, and, and expand on it if you have it. Uh, if you don't have it, that's okay. But if you have it, we want to be able to pull it out of you. Uh, but regardless, you need to know how to communicate. You don't have to become a poet. Uh, you don't have to become a writer of the greatest American novel, but... By God, you need to be able to explain what you're doing, especially these days when things are very complicated. But if you go back in time, I mean, you look at, at some musicians and artists, they, they seem to really sort of master that sort of, there's that phrase, the Renaissance man, yep. mastering math and art or yep. engineering and, yep. and sculpture. Yep. I, I think Leonardo da Vinci would have been a perfect uh, engineering student in our day because he was very sound in his engineering. He actually presaged many of the things that we're seeing today, the airplane, and many of those technologies he was already thinking about them. And he was a fantastic artist. And uh, I don't know, you were talking about the Sistine Chapel, the painting, and, and about the, 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 the dome and the technology that went into putting the dome down, how many of those things have fallen down? Just one. Just one. In how many years? Uh, over 400, over almost 500? Almost 500 years. And they don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's true. I mean, he really was a master. He's, he's your ideal engineer. That's you, right. That's what you want all your graduates to be. That's right. And again, they don't have to be fantastic painters. They don't have to be fantastic poets. That's not the point. But these people are people who recognize that there's, there's art to engineering also. There's, there's, there's music in engineering. There's, there's that component 
uh, to engineering, not just being technically sound. We are going to be technically sound, but we need to understand that there are other components to it, and we can learn how to do those things. We can learn how to be articulate. We can learn how to uh, make things uh, aesthetically appealing uh, in our solutions. They don't all have to be boxy. And, and so there's a lot that we can learn from the humanities, and we intend to learn from the humanities. There's a lot we can learn from the business school, and we intend to learn from the business school also. Engineering, when I, when I was going to college, and you thought of engineers as the people with slide rules who did everything by <laughs> equation. But, but I think you're right. I mean, you've got to address that desirable feature of the solution they design. I mean, yes. they've got to have something else besides it's not just being a one-dimensional equation solver. Yes. Now, we'll work with people who are experts in that area, but the fact that we are thinking about it as we're developing our solutions is the key, that we, we, we are cognizant of the fact that there's a different component to just making sure that the thermodynamics work or that the statics work. Or, or all of the, the fundamental engineering principles work. Yes, they would work. But then there are a few of these other components that we're thinking of. Uh, we don't have to be the experts in them, but we're thinking about them. Engineering is everywhere. I've actually, once in a while, I would challenge people and say, just close your eyes and imagine a day without engineering. Imagine a world without engineering. And it's going to be a pretty bleak world. Uh, you won't have bridges <laughs> crossing your rivers. You won't have these expressways. You won't have your manufactured goods. You won't have uh, even the air we breathe, uh, all the things that, that clean up the air and clean up the water. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very pervasive uh, discipline. And rather than make people become arrogant, it actually should make us humble uh, to recognize the fact that we have this ability to influence the world, to, to change the world if we wish. Uh, it's, a, it's a significant responsibility that should uh, make us think twice about what our uh, discipline can do. There's so many different ways, so many different kinds of problems that the students and faculty are solving in your college. Um, this this, this newer, newer program in biomedical engineering is really hot, for example. I mean, I know it's hard for students to get in. It is, and uh, this is a perfect marriage of medicine with engineering and, and brings to bear the analytical skills of engineers uh, with the serious uh, medical problems that, that we're faced with. And so, yeah, it is, it is very uh, hot. A lot of people want to get into it. And it's, it's given us an opportunity to uh, influence healthcare and, and how uh, people live, the quality of life of, of, of how people live. So it, it is very attractive to a lot of students. Um, one of my students, I mean, Hundi is actually my boss's boss and my part-time job teaching for computer science. But one of my students was telling me that he ended up choosing the University of Delaware and the biomedical um, engineering program over some programs where he was offered actually more money because they were just straight-up physical therapy. I mean, he really, I think, felt that this was an opportunity to come up with some new solutions and to sort of be on the cutting edge. 
It is, and and the approach we take here is is holistic. Like I said, uh, we provide students with the fundamentals, and they get a chance to interact with a lot of uh, truly outstanding people. Uh, we have connections with uh, uh, AI, Dupont, with with Christiana, and uh, many of the. Uh, People within our community uh, who are the leaders in these areas are part of our biomedical engineering program. I mean, they, they come here and they're very excited about it. So our students are going to come out and they will be well-rounded. By the way, we're going to be graduating our first set this year. First set of biomedical, set of biomedical, biomedical engineers are going to be graduating at the end of this year. And we're looking forward to uh, unleashing them on the world with the University of Delaware brand. <laughs> Well, it seems that they are getting to, like so many of your students, they're getting to do hands-on things. It's not just classroom activities. They are. And, and uh, if people have a chance, they should stop by and see some of the things that are going on. And the connections with industry and the uh, projects that they're doing uh, cuts across a lot of disciplines, actually. And, and we do have some things that we do with the College of Health Sciences, too. And uh, we have things that we do with the mechanical engineering folks and people in physical therapy in particular. Uh, we do work very closely with them. So it is, it is a, I think it is the most interdisciplinary of all of our engineering uh, uh, disciplines. So it's very exciting. Speaking of interdisciplinary, um, we're talking with you on October 17th. Ah, and yes. at 2 o'clock this afternoon, you're going to be involved in a ceremony that sort of celebrates um, interdisciplinary studies. Yes. I think the, uh, the ICE lab, as it's uh, affectionately known, is going to be a game changer. Uh, it's, it, the, there's the education wing itself that is looking at a certain way of training uh, science and engineering students. And then there's the research component. And the fact that you can actually cross from one to the other seamlessly uh, it's it's going to be a game changer. We're really excited about it. It's the first building of its kind in decades on this campus. And uh, the people that are populating the buildings are some of our best and some of our brightest. And the work that's going on there is going to put us on on the map. It's a huge recruiting tool for us. The other day I was speaking to prospective uh, freshmen. I mean, these this are high school seniors who are looking to various schools to go and I challenge them I say go take a look at the ice lab and then come back and let's talk <laughs> about this you should see their eyes get big when they, when they saw the building when they saw the way it's set up and the way they're going to be learning this problem based learning that the Dean of the Arts and, uh, College of Arts and Sciences George Watson is one of the pioneers of uh, in bringing it to this campus how you would pose a problem to students, and then have them go into the labs to discover the principles on the, uh, for, for themselves. The principle of teaching over the last, I don't know, 50 years is more what I would call knowledge transfer. I, the professor, stand up and I transfer the knowledge that I have to you, the students. And the students take it passively and they walk off. It, it worked. Uh, but now we're transitioning to knowledge discovery or knowledge creation in which you give the students a hint, 
They go in and then they discover that knowledge themselves. They're so much more excited with that method of learning too. They are. And uh, as you mentioned, I grew up in Nigeria. And one of the things about uh, my country is that we, we, we have lots of proverbs. And there's a proverb in my language that roughly translates to, it is the thing that you do with your own hands that becomes yours. In other words, when you do something with your own hands, you appropriate it and it becomes yours rather than something that somebody tells you about. And I think that's the same sort of concept when the students go and discover the principles of momentum transfer in the lab. It sticks with them better than me standing up and writing M1, V1 equals M2, V2 for them. It's true. And they can take the equation with them, but they go and learn it in the lab and it sticks a little bit better. For some of our listeners who are part of the general community and may not know what ICE Lab stands for. That's the Interdisciplinary Science and Engineering Laboratory. Right. Thank you. It's uh, very exciting. And again, that's students have been in there already this at the beginning of this fall semester, but you're going to have the dedication um, later today on October 17th. I think that really does highlight for me, like changes, I've been here 30 years. I mean, changes in the way people are taught and the way people are learning here. I mean, to have this building with those two wings, as you said, the research wing and the teaching wing and the labs and the problem-based classrooms, um, I think it really speaks to a transformation. Now, how many different kinds of departments from your college and arts and sciences have space in the ICE Lab, and maybe oh from some of the other colleges, too. Uh, the College of Arts and Sciences, definitely. Mm-hmm. People from physics, people from chemistry. Uh, really, it's not so much the disciplinary aspects, for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. It, it, it houses people working in the environment, for example. So you have Don Sparks, who is the uh, director of, this, the, of Denon, which is the Institute for, for Environment on campus. Mm-hmm. And so he has several people. He is from the Ag School, but he has people from the College of Earth, Ocean, and Environment and, and people like that working with him in, 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 that, uh, in that portion. We have people working in energy. And with energy, you have people in, in chemistry, in physics, in chemical engineering, in mechanical engineering, uh, in electrical engineering. And so you have everybody that is doing something that's related to energy and the environment uh, in that building. That's a very, very exciting um, for the university to have that facility. Let's talk about some of the other programs that, um, that go on in your um, college. I know that last spring, I think it was, I talked to three or four members of the chapter of Engineers Without Borders. That is just such an exciting program for the students and faculty to be involved in. Yes. And this is one of those that uh, combines several things. You take your engineering uh, knowledge that you picked up in class, you go to a developing world, and you get engaged in a real live project. Uh, it's, it does two things for you. One, uh, you get to practice what you've learned with an engineer uh, guiding you, a, a professional engineer working with you, but it also gets you in contact with the rest of the world, especially the part of the world that you just read about in National Geographic. 
you actually see it and you, you, you interact with the people, you come back changed. Uh, many of the people who go to Guatemala or to Cameroon come back and they're forever changed in ways they may not even be able to articulate because they've seen different parts of the world and they've been able to help. I think it's, uh, I know that the kids were telling me, I mean, they learned so much about the way to interact with clients and to deal with, if you will, the politics of dealing with clients. I mean, the, the, the folks that went to Cameroon were dealing with multiple villages, with multiple headmen, to try and come up with a cooperative water project. That's right. It's, it, you're solving not just an engineering problem, you're looking at social interactions. Uh, it, it, there couldn't be a better field for training uh, our students than, than something like that. And it's also getting them to be citizens of the world. Uh, it's, it's relatively easy because America is a huge country. Uh, not to be in contact with what's going on in the rest of the world other than what you see on CNN. But in this particular case, you're actually physically interacting with people from a different culture. And you're learning something about their culture and how... Humans are the same anywhere you go. And learn to respect the differences That's right. in approaches, even though humans are the same That's everywhere right. they go. What are some of the other programs that the students are doing um, that you're really proud of, or mentorship opportunities, or, or hands-on things that, that some of the other engineering programs have the students doing? We, we have a co-op program currently in the civil engineering department. Uh, where, uh, for people who don't know what a co-op program is, is when a student actually goes to work in industry for an extended period of time, six months, sometimes a year. And even though you're not a fully trained engineer yet, you have enough training that you can work in industry, and this is a partnership with our industrial partners who then help us round out the training. So that's going on. Uh, we have international programs where our students go and study abroad. And uh, we have a program with, with the uh, Peking University in, in, in Beijing, uh, which most people have called Peking University, the Harvard of China. Uh, and it exposes our students to the rest of the world and how the rest of the world learns. And we bring our own culture and we imbibe some of their own culture. Uh, we have uh, mentors from industry working with people, and we have programs for writing for, for engineers because we need to know how to write. And, and so, yeah, and there are many more of these programs. I know that when I taught here for the English department, I loved teaching technical writing. I had a whole <laughs> bunch of civil engineers in that class, as I recall, and they were helping each other gather data about traffic and all sorts of stuff. That was that was a really fun class to teach. It is, and, and our students are really starting to understand the concept of engineers knowing to write well, uh, or scientists knowing, knowing to write well, knowing how to communicate well, uh, because things are getting more complex, not simpler, and therefore we need to understand how to uh, let people understand what is involved in, in what we're doing without using too many jargony words. Uh, that, that are shortcuts that we use among ourselves. Uh, but really, we need, to, we need to understand how to write well, and we need to understand how to make good presentations. Particularly since engineers often have to pitch their solutions to somebody for funding. That's right. 
That's right. Regardless of where you go, whether you, if you go to academia to be a professor, you better know how to write well because you have to write proposals. And it doesn't matter how smart you are. If your proposal doesn't read well, it doesn't get funded. Uh, if you go to industry, uh, you still have to communicate your ideas to the people who are going to have to rally around the project. So wherever you go, and especially if even if you go to a high school to teach, well, you're trying to pass on knowledge to young minds. You need to know how to do it well. So wherever you go, it is very important. We're talking with Babatundi Oganaki, the dean of the College of Engineering. He is a Renaissance man from Nigeria, my uh, bandmate Chet Miller. We used to be one of his uh, colleagues at uh, <laughs> At DuPont. The DuPont. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it really is true. I mean, I mean that that's another side of your life. But I mean, music and the exploration of music for you an engineer. I mean, that points to what you're saying about the need for engineers to be well-rounded individuals. Uh, yeah, I, I play the guitar, and and it was one of those things that kept me sane in graduate school. Uh, I would I would work till about one a.m. and then I'll pull out my classical guitar and play till about two and then uh, go to bed and wake up at 7, start all over again. And, <laughs> uh, but uh, quite frankly, it is, it is good to have outlets like that. And I encourage people who are, are listening, take up an instrument. Uh, you, you'll learn something uh, about it. it it'll, it'll help you in your creativity, in whatever else you're trying to do. And if you get a chance, read the book uh, Godel, Escher, and Bach, Bach by, by Hofstadter. Uh, Kurt Gödel is the the logician. Uh, Escher is the artist who made some really fantastic etches uh, that that boggled the mind. And of course, Johann Sebastian Bach is uh, the premier uh, composer uh, of the Baroque period, whose fugues are nothing short of mathematical in, in the way they're com- com- composed, in the way uh, they're, they're put together. It's a, it's a very interesting book that, that combines all of these things, the mathematics, the art, and the music, uh, for people who are so inclined. I think that there are studies, too, that show that students who do well with music also do well in math and some of the other STEM science, technology, engineering um, areas. That is true. Uh, and I, 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 I'm not an expert in any of these things by, by any chance, but just the empirical evidence uh, shows that uh, there's something about being able to excel in other things other than your, your, uh, your, your field. Uh, Professor Byron Bird, Bob Bird at Wisconsin, is one of those uh, Renaissance men, composes fugues, knows music, does all kinds of things, and he's an expert in chemical engineering. Any last words you'd like to give the, stu- the students or any of the listeners? A cha- any challenges you wish to issue? Yeah, come with us. Let's go change the world, one student at a time. I, I, I think this is an exciting time uh, to be an engineering student, an exciting time to be an engineering professor. Uh, there's so many challenges in the world that are just crying out for creative solutions, and we're getting our students ready so that once they get out with that University of Delaware uh, certificate, people know what they're getting. So come, let's go change the world. Thank you so much, Tandy. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to Campus Voices, a collaboration between WVUD, the broadcast voice of the University of Delaware, and UD Information Technologies. The views expressed on this program are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official views or policies of WVUD, UD Information Technologies, or the University of Delaware. For more information about Campus Voices and to find archive copies of this and other episodes, visit our website. Using all lowercase letters, go to www.udel.edu slash campusvoices. We invite you to tune in every Thursday morning at 8.30 for Campus Voices on 91.3 FM, WVUD, and WVUD HD1, Newark, or online at wvud.org.